Welcome to the Learn Perform Mixtape. I'm your host for this podcast, Laura Pasquini. I created this podcast to prepare me and maybe you for the Certified Professional Learning and Performance Exam, the CPLP. These series of podcasts will be my open study notes. Welcome to the learning. In episode 7.3, we're going to talk all about career development theories and approaches. I want to answer the questions to what are the career theories and approaches that guide individual and organizational development? What career development approaches do you offer, like interviewing, counseling, interpreting reports, assessment instruments, or career plans? How do you organize professional or employee development? And what career theories do you really use? Learning objectives for this section is defining the balance between personal assessment and the market, discussing the trait and factor theory of Williamson and how it relates to career development, define Donald Super's developmental framework, summarize each personality or typology theories, understanding Rose theory, Holland's occupational model, and psychodynamic theory, and compare their value for individual employees, describe Crumbolt's behavioral theory, and then we'll get into career anchors theory by Shane describing how generational issues might impact career development and other things related to development programs for key roles and jobs in the organization. So career development is a broad topic. In a past life, I was an academic advisor and worked within a career center. So exploring what it meant to grow academically in your employment and the career is all part and parcel to what I've always been interested in. So diving into this section of the area of expertise in integrated talent management was really interesting to me. It talks a little bit more about balancing the personal assessment into what's into the market. So when we're thinking about our ideal future of work and in terms of our own career plan, it's a process, right? So we're thinking about different concepts theories, and all this is packaged as career development. So Zandi Lebowitz in 1986 defined um, career development as a vision that must be realistic and provide a strong link between the present situation and the future possibilities. So thinking about real needs, structures, and cultures. The goal of career development is to offer a sense of direction and rationale for your different approaches to your own occupation and your future career plans. So how do you measure these results as you go through your own career journey? The first area that was talked about was the trait factor counseling. And this was uh, created by a couple theorists in the early 1900s, uh, Frank Parsons and E.G. Williamson. So Williamson's uh, trait factor counseling is what you might find if you search. I will say it's a cognitive career counseling approach that's based on a theory of individual differences. So it's kind of like talent matching. So it assumes that each person has a unique pattern of relatively stable traits, interests, abilities, and characteristics that can be identified as occupational profiles. So this approach is often criticized in the industry because it assumes that a trait characteristic as an item can be measured by testing and factor characteristics are required for successful job performance. That might not be true. So traits include things like intelligence, ambition, aptitude, self-esteem, and factors are statistical representations of these traits. So the criticism around trait factor counseling really describes uh, people as matching to jobs, and that's not always the case. So it's like square peg, square hole approach. And we know we have lots of triangles, we have lots of circles and other dimensions that don't fit into a square hole. It's a challenge to think about how any of that diagnosis and prognosis and analysis might actually lead to this counseling and follow-up and place people in specific occupations, jobs, or career paths. So this is challenge, and I would agree, because I actually just listened to a recent episode of Hello Monday podcast. I put the link in there 
And it's not always what you know, but it's what you're willing to learn that might be the example. So the interview I listened to recently was Satya Nandela, who's the CEO of Microsoft, really thinks about uh, not being brilliant, but being more curious and being interested in continually learning. Because as you learn, some of these traits and factors of your own performance might change and come into play where you work in your organization or your next potential role. Super's developmental self-concept or framework uh, was developed by Donald Super. And this career development theory includes the idea that our careers move through five distinct phases from childhood through adulthood. The choice of occupation is highly influenced by each um, person's self-image. And that self-image maps to what you already know in a particular occupation or industry. So they think about who am I and will I fit into that actual career role? So I think it's been really interesting to look at this. There was very little that I read in this um, kind of um, planning guide for the ATDs provided. So I dug out some other things and I found some interesting things on the New Zealand uh, government websites. Going into this theory, I really like the idea of the first stage being growth, birth to um, through adolescence, so or 14. They have people developing self-concept, attitudes, needs, and general world of work. I think it's really interesting. That's when we start as a child. We learn from our school, home, neighbors, friends, and we have the general self-concept, attitude, needs, the general area of work. So that's children, that's the growth stage. Um, then the exploratory stage in adolescence, so 15 up through the mid-20s, uh, we see our interests and aptitudes and values solidify. So we hope we've experienced some things like trying out classes in high school to college or university. Maybe we experience different jobs in the world of work hobbies, and you're learning new skills and knowledge. So it's the trying out exploration phase. I'd like to say some of us do that a little bit longer, but 15 to 24 is the age in this range. The third stage is the establishment stage, mid-20s to around 44 years old. It's usually entry-level skills, building and stabilization through work experiences. And the achievement, for the most part, is a stable career. So you're into a world of work where you've stepped into a few different roles, experiences, maybe jobs, and your career is building and you're on a set path in your career. Hey, that doesn't happen for all of us, the transition, but that's the gist of it. Uh, stage four is a maintenance stage from ages 45 to 64. So most people are settled into their occupations at this time. There might be continual adjustment, a process to improve the position and things like that. Or you've kind of moved up into a supervision, supervisory or leadership role, or you're doing something else that you're really building on a key talent or skill or, or knowledge that you have in that industry area in your career. Stage five is the decline stage. It sounds rough, but at age 65 plus, we see reduced output and people are preparing for retirement often. Uh, retirees who are most successful carry their work or vocational interests into retirement. I think that's partially true and some people focus on their hobbies more. So it depends on where your career fit into your own personal life and how valuable it is. So we know people that retire often continue to train others, maybe do talks, give lectures, maybe they're writing about the work they've done, or they're contributing in some other way to a professional org or association. Uh, I hope in my decline stage, I'm moving towards a more of a life of leisure, but who's to say what will happen because I do love learning. So that's my own problem. Uh, Personality or typology theories, there's lots of them. We're not going to talk too much about them specific instruments now, but I will touch a few. Uh, we know, I know that we get into it in the next section um, in the individual and organizational assessment. So I'll touch on just where occupations basically get mapped on personality, strengths, interests, values, and characteristics. So for example, Rowe's theory of occupation divides occupations into eight groups of service and six 
decision levels that can be used to assess individuals to determine their best career choices. So Anne Rowe created this, and I was actually just reading about this on someone's blog, so I put a link to it in the episode notes. Uh, she really ties this to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so her theory was incorporated into this to think about uh, the concentration on a child, avoidance of the child, acceptance of the child, to parental attitude. So it was an interesting little read. I put that as an aside. Um, this is similar to mapping um, things around interests. And we know that Holland, uh, Holland's occupational congruency model or Holland's code, you may have heard it called, really matches uh, people to their best career choice through interviews that deal with six types of work environments. Uh, they might be called the RISIC codes or the interest inventory, uh, maybe some things that you've heard. I've used this a lot with some of my students previously and professionals I work with because they're an easy start to map where things go. And often Holland's theory of career choices have been mapped to things like um, in the US, we have the online um, the ONET online, and that's the occupational database of jobs. And you can map out to their preferences based on your personality type, uh, your interests, and matching to career and majors. So that's been really why I've worked with uh, in as a professor working with students, trying to figure out their interests and abilities to some of their academics. The six types are realistic, so physical strength, motor connection, concrete problem solving. Uh, we have investigative, so ideas, thoughts, intellectual ideas, uh, mental problem solving, artistic, a little bit more around self-expression and how you uh, deliver things. It's not about the personal interaction, but it's about expressing oneself. Uh, social, you have the interaction with others, and you really feed off that group and collaborative experiences. And enterprising, you're really good both with verbal and social skills. You want to look for opportunities and conventional. You're really about following the rules and regulations, and you kind of want a set way the plans the plans go and traditional map of things that are going in a certain sequence. So you can read more around Holland's theory and of career choices and you. I put some examples. It's kind of like a hexagon of Holland's interests. Um, not saying that any of this right, but you can do your own test. I put a free link to an open psychometric test for the RISIC. So you can figure out where your strengths are. Typically, we see uh, two of them rising as your primary or dominant strengths, and then you have some secondary ones that follow up. They all are in us, these strengths, but there's some interests and strengths um, that fit better uh, based on how you view your world of work. The behavioral theory suggests that career-related behavior can be broken down into parts. So it's very complex, but you can take these components apart to better understand our behaviors at work. So a couple of the theorists and examples are behavior career counseling. So one of them is a scientific, precise approach to career decision-making that leverages concepts from psychology. So this approach looks at career-related behavior. So if you're going to have a job interview and the results from this event, so did you get the job after the interview? So reflecting on the past really helps us to understand the future and moving forward in the next career decisions or career objectives. So if you weren't successful in that interview, what could you improve upon? Or was it your delivery? Or was it something else entirely? Crumbolt's model is about planned happenstance, so which makes it okay to not always plan because unplanned events could lead to good careers. He uses the decides model, it's a capital D-E-C-I-D-E-S, and this is a decision-making process with seven steps. So first is define the problem, two, establish an action plan, three, clarify values, four, identify alternatives, five, discovering probable outcomes, 
And six, eliminating alternatives systematically. Seven, start that action plan. If you are a kind of a planned person and you want to have some systematic or process, this is probably the theory for you. I also like, I've received this uh, kind of interesting perspective on the Careers Government New Zealand website is uh, curiosity to explore learning opportunities, persistence to deal with obstacles, flexible to address a variety of circumstances and events, and optimism to maximize benefits from unplanned events. If this sounds like you and you like to work through your own problems in the world of work, especially, then this might be the approach you take a look at or probably value and hang on to a bit more when you're thinking about career development. The next theory that I read about here was Edgar Schein's in 1961 created the career anchors theory. So this is one self-concept about your own talent and abilities is basic values, motives, and needs as they relate to your own career. So this theory was developed to determine how careers in management advanced and how well individuals fared with their employers. Originally, a study done from MIT, this was a longitudinal study of over 12 years with over 200 participants. And really, the findings say, self-awareness and personal insight contributes to your career choices. That's a no-brainer we know now, but the basic drivers of these career decisions are related to the tenets of talents, motives, and values. And into these come eight career anchors. Uh, It doesn't really talk about it so much in the reading, so I tapped another article that I put in the notes, but here are the eight career anchors they look at. Um, It's specifically tied to career, and I've put the read more, what are the career anchors, so you could read about them yourselves. I'm just going to list these eight. So technical and functional competence, so being good at a specific task and be able to carry out that skill well. Uh, general managerial competence, so you thrive off responsibility and having relationships and interacting with others, and so you're able to lead them very well. Autonomy or interdependence, so typically you let to be left to your own devices and you are able to act and take initiative with very little direction, so you can work independently. Four is security and stability. So you really want to seek stable, predictable positions, activities to plan your life around. You want a job that's going to be the same status quo uh, for different reasons, whether you're teaching for nine months and know that you have your summers off as an educator, or you're doing the nine to five in the specific task role that's not going to change or challenge you to do things outside of that stable environment to impact your family or home life. Uh, number five, entrepreneurial capability. So within businesses, we see great ways to invent, brainstorm, innovate, and try new things. And people that thrive in this area really want to take ownership over their own work and actually like the variety so they don't get bored. So it's not just a money thing, uh, but it can be. It's also about contributing back to your workplace. Six is service dedication to a cause. So really some of that work is in servant leadership styles, giving back to an outside organization or using the talents and competence in a different way to give back somewhere dedicated to a cause. Seven is pure challenge. So some people just really like to be stimulated and always challenged in their tasks, abilities, problem solving, and more in their roles. So if they're not doing this anymore, they might become stagnant or just need to move on. Number eight is lifestyle. So lots of folks that think about this now, and it's growing actually, as we oriented everything around not just their role, but balancing their work and life as an integrative approach. So thinking about periods of where you're going to have recreation and leisure and balance that time from other ways that you could take holidays, have vacation, maybe flexible or remote work that is really catered to the way you want to live your best life. 
for myself and other adults that are in their profession and their careers, we also see people make transitions because some of these anchors become more important at different parts of their life or different points of their life where they need more time with family or they're really interested in having an entrepreneurial spirit. So we can see this shift and it's not always this is your permanent anchor, but it's pretty fluid depending on what you've learned and your values for work. With all these career planning theories, talent development professionals also have to think about the bigger picture of the organization goals and individuals' professional objectives. So there's sometimes some conflict between the two. We see that organizational needs and human capital, which is the collective knowledge, skills, competence, and values of people in the org, really takes some time to invest. And you really want to know how is this talent development learning solution really contributing back to uh, the return on investment or the company's bottom line and goals. This is discussed more in Area of Expertise 5, Evaluating Learning Impact, Section 5.17, the Phillips ROI methodology. But I thought I'd mention that now because we'll get into that soon as we hit um, the learning impact section. The second issue that comes up is approaches to work is different between generations. In the US and Canada, we have five generations working side by side these days. So this was cited in 2014 or so when this uh, book and this module came out. I actually spent some time and took a look at a generational demographic trends population workforce that came out in November. Uh, it's from the Catalyst, uh, workplaces that work for women. And they actually identified globally, we have four working generations. So baby boomers, 1946 to 1964, Generation X, that's me, 1965 to Obviously, generations and labeling differs, so I'm not an expert at that. But I will say how we come into work and our generations has some influence, but not always, uh, but does impact what we might do to approach career developments for this. So, for example, um, in ATD, they mentioned mentoring programs will go to that traditional approach for mentoring. So senior professional mentors, the junior. But really, I think there's more peer mentoring going on, group mentoring going on to learn new skills, adjust to new technologies, gain institutional knowledge that's embedded and pass along and offer applied experiences and opportunities to have folks mentor and sponsor one another in the workplace. I put in a link to read more around the demographic trends because I think it's really interesting around the world how this impacts. So they talk a little bit about uh, what this works for the aging population in Asia, so China and Japan's, and also Australia's workforce, Canada, and things like that. So if you want to read more about the different parts of the world and how the generations are influencing or impacting what that looks like, take a look. Also, a bonus read is from... I put in from the global news as uh, from baby boomers to millennials, which generation most, most speaks to you? So this is an article about how you might be defined in this certain generation, but is that really the best fit? And what does this mean to uh, bring these different generations together and how can they work well with one another? The third issue when it comes to career development is multicultural influences. So most organizations really want to bring a rich, diverse group of multicultural issues that cannot be ignored when we talk about career development. This section was really, really thin, and I'm sad to see that it wasn't developed more. So I hope the next iteration does and the next model and competencies, because I think we have diversity, equity, inclusion issues impacting more of our organizations. They are global. They face different issues. Um, and one of them that was talked about, an assessment I found uh, in terms of addressing customs, practices, expectations with who you're working for in career assessment models is the Healy's career appraisal model. So really... I put a link to this if you want to read more, but really this model serves as a way to incorporate cultural variables. So 
traditional career models is kind of like top down. This is who's in the workforce. This is not. Well, this may not be the same for other um, ethnic groups, races, cultures, families, geographic places. And we really need to take into understanding what individuals, people's cultural influences are impacting their own employee development and talent as well. So the final section talks a bit more around uh, development approaches for key roles and jobs. So they give like an action and then a value. So other ways that we can learn are action learning, putting small teams together to solve a real problem in their work environment and reflect throughout that learning process. Um, academic assignments. So maybe you have a professional partner with someone to do research, co-author articles or lead an initiative at a college or university. Uh, maybe you have an advanced degree education. You put someone back into a higher ed program. This could be to gain more innovative or fresh new ideas and perspectives. This could be to do an MBA, a master's program, or even a PhD, JD, and other things to tool up to add back to their role. Coaching, you receive objective feedback about your performance, and then you set specific goals that you can reach that will apply to you and the organization's needs. Uh, signing up for committee and task force involvement. Who knew that that participating helps to actually broaden your perspective and heighten your awareness of issues impacting the overall organization, not just your unit or department. Cross-functional job rotations are really neat. They're moving between jobs in different parts of the organization over time to not only develop relationships, but also get to know how things operate. Uh, this follows with job shadowing, so you can work alongside a professional in a certain field or department or unit and get firsthand observation of their requirements, the skills, and what they're working on and how that might connect to your job or if you want to move into that role. Instructing others, we know teaching under deepens your understanding of a concept, skill, or, or material, but also an appreciation for how others learn. And then loaned executive programs. So maybe you might work in another organization while still employed at your current place of work. So this could be like working in a nonprofit organization or a research think tank. And you're there to gain leadership skills and increase knowledge of an issue or an area. And also maybe establish maybe local business contacts and relationships between the two groups or the two organizations. The management training courses, you can do this with uh, goals to have supervision or managerial skills developed so you can be a more effective leader in the org. And mentoring, so receiving valuable information and feedback to gain understanding of your organization's culture and those unwritten norms. Professional associations, uh, we have a lot of professionals join and participating in professional orgs and associations uh, to go to meetings, gain knowledge, attend conferences, and learn more about the best practices in the field and industry. And finally, there's sabbaticals. So this would be to extend time off of work to study, write scholarly articles, or explore new cultures and take some time and space to refresh before coming back to the work. So those are just a few of the career things that I want to mention. I will say the next section, 7.4, will get into how you assess some of these personalities, profiles, and tools for career. But this should get you started to think more around how career development approaches and theories really start to impact not only the organization, but individuals and how you can strike a balance between those two. Thanks for listening to the Learn, Perform Mixtape. If you're liking this podcast, subscribe, tell a friend, give me a like and give me a review. If you're studying for the CPLP or you have already, let me know. I'd love to chat and I'd love to get your advice. Comments, questions, thoughts, and love are always welcome. And I have my details in every episode notes. So please reach out. Let's connect.